Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing and advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Paul Meller, a man who was such a nightmare to employ that he had to set up his own agency. Paul is one of those all-too-rare voices in the industry who actually tells it like it is. As MD of Meller and Smith, set up with his old uni mate Jim Smith, he founded the sellout Take Fucking Risks speaker series, where guests have included Bob Hoffman, Dave Trott and Cindy Gallup. He's now gone all a tale of two cities, stirring up revolution and splitting his time between London and France. Paul says... Get outside, talk to interesting people, go to the pub at midday, travel the world. Get out of your bubble because that's where the really good thinking happens. We've already been on the gargle for a couple of hours, so this should be interesting. As we say, welcome to the show, Paul. It's fucking pretty good intro, that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's downhill from it, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the high watermark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, seven quickfire questions. Mac or PC? Ah. Uh. Mac, always. England or France? France. Really? Nah, it's fucking good, isn't it? Form or function? Nah, it's always function. Stick or twist? Always twist. Guinness or rosé? Ooh, we've had both this afternoon already. I would have to go with my uh, non-Irish roots of Guinness. Ask for permission or ask for forgiveness? Forgiveness, always. Ten foot python or Molotov cocktail? It's got to be the cocktail. <laughs> yeah. Someone's been doing their research. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%, 100%. We don't mess around here. Yeah. Uh, so, Paul, what was your first job or jobs? And then what was your first design or advertising job? My first job was uh, washing cars around where I lived. So me and my brother would go around with a bucket and a sponge and probably some fairy liquid <laughs> and nice. offer to wash our neighbours' cars for a fiver. I don't know. Mm. Um, and we didn't wash that many cars. Uh, but that, I would have been about 12, 13. Yeah. My brother's a couple of years younger. Uh, that was good. Uh, well, my, uh, my father, he's now retired, but at the time he was in the Air Force. So we just walked around uh, the base uh, and, yeah, offered to wash people's cars. I did, at that, even at that time, have the brass balls to charge by the size of the car. So if it was a Mini, it was cheaper. If it was a Range Rover, it was more expensive. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, value-based pricing, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even in those days. Uh, but yeah, that was my, that was my first job. My first like legit job where, you know, I was on the payroll. I worked in a coleslaw and potato salad factory. Um, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, washed the buckets and the vats of salad cream and mayo and fucking chopped up cabbage. It was shit. Yeah. It was really shit. You'd get up at four, I think it was about four o'clock in the morning. Wow, how old uh, were you then? I was, that was um, the summer, I did two jobs that summer, so that was the summer after I finished my A-levels before I went to uni. I was uh, in, the, in the daytime, coleslaw man, and in the evening I was tequila man, and I worked in a, in a Mexican restaurant where I was tequila boy, and I would have to put on like a gunslinger's belt with two bottles of tequila in the holsters, and go around uh, uh, getting people to buy shots of tequila. Uh, and it was, it, this particular restaurant was very um, well known for hen parties. And so I would just get uh, <laughs> mauled by these hen parties. 
was as an 18 year old, it's the best fucking job yeah. in the world. And the job's going now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I've literally, this is it. <laughs> I, yeah, the peak at 18. Wow. <laughs> Getting uh, drunk women <laughs> as uh, even more drunk was like the best thing ever. Nice. And then so how did you, how did you go from, from Hindus to design and advertising? <laughs> yeah. So I went, I went to uni and I studied uh, industrial design or product design um, at Loughborough Uni and I met Jim so he's the Smith of Meller and Smith uh, and we were there for four years and then when we graduated Jim did what like most people do which he went and got a job worked in an agency and kind of worked his way up uh, and then for five years I was a just a fucking bum uh, I would get jobs at agencies worked in agencies and, and wider field I worked I was, I had so many jobs and I would just get the sack all the time. So I worked in call centers, I worked in recruitment, I worked as a financial broker, I worked in agencies, um, I did uh, drug testing. So I was like, you know, where they uh, pump you full of drugs and then give you some money and see what happens there. And what, a lot of the time is I get a job and then I just go to the pub at midday and not come back. And so reasonably, reasonably, they would then sack me. <laughs> but it got to a bit of a came to a bit of a head when um, whenever you start a new job, you have to fill out the like emergency next of kin form, or whatever. And I would always fill out my mum's uh, detail, you know, put my mum's details in there. And whenever I'd go to the pub and and I didn't come back, the whoever was like head of HR would phone my mum being like, where's Paul? <laughs> and so I'd come back home. I was, you know, glamorous living with my parents at that point. Uh, pissed. <laughs> to my mum, like, on the warpath. And I'm like, this is, this is not cool. Like, there's no, I mean, there's nothing worse than coming home drunk <laughs> to your parents' house <laughs> and your mum's really pissed off. And you're like, mum, I've been drinking all afternoon. This is the last thing I want. Uh, so I ran away to uh, the Alps, ran away to France uh, and just became a bit of a ski bum. Working in bars, like ducking and weaving really. Uh, and then met my now wife in a bar when I was working in this bar and uh, got her drunk, um, which is like smooth, you know. You knew how to do that. I, I, like, yeah, yeah, I knew how to do that. Um, and then, yeah, moved back to London and she was like, you're a fucking dickhead, like sort your life out. Um, and so then within a year I'd set up Mellor and Smith and then I've never really looked back. Amazing. And so, so what is, so anyone listening who's unsure, A, what is Mellor and Smith, but B, and I think most importantly for, for me anyhow, how do you position yourselves differently to other agencies? So... It's smashing rosé, by the way. It is, yeah, it's nice, yeah, isn't it? Nice little could be colder. Could be, be colder. Yeah, it could be colder. I don't mean, yeah, I don't want to like, don't want to complain, but you know, uh, I don't want to shoot the hand that, that feeds me. Um, uh, so, what is Mellon Smith? We are a brand and advertising agency. We started out ten years ago um, as a design agency, probably more more than anything, and then we've moved in that direction. Um, over time, we've, uh, we've described ourselves as a, um, 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 a produced work accordingly as a brand and ad agency for the last five years. Um, so we spent the first few years as a design agency. We, uh, when I set it up, I set it up in my pants with a, in a hangover um, and uh, <laughs> just worked from my front room, uh, which a lot, a lot of people do. The, the thing that I didn't do that most people do when they set up an agency, so most people when they set up an agency, they take their favorite client with them, the one that they're the closest to, and they go, look, mate, I'm gonna go set up an agency, come with me, we can do it together. So they go, and they've got ready-made fees, like day one. I didn't do that. I told the guy that was running the agency that I was working at that he was a cock, <laughs> and burnt all my bridges, told everyone they were a cock. <laughs> it was like, bow, bow, bow. I'm gonna do it better. <laughs> Went to the pub, got shit-faced, I woke up the next morning, was like, shit, I'm no longer employed. Should probably set up the agent because I've told everyone I'm going to do it. Um, so that's what we did. And yeah, we were a design agency and we spent the first five years producing pretty average work, just taking the check, mm -hmm. saying yes. And we were, I immediately, you know, really quickly lost my mojo mm -hmm. and lost what we were about. Uh, so five years had passed. We, you know, 
like financially done quite well, but like from a from actually producing any decent work, it was a it was a you know, like it was a non entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, after five years, decided we were going to apply um, a, a metric to clients, and we said, I, "I'm not going to do this anymore." Uh, by that point, I'd had kids, and I didn't want my kids to look at the work that I was producing and go, oh, "That's pretty average," you know. Um, so we got rid of seventy five percent of our clients. We only wanted to produce um, creative work at that point, work that really resonated, got noticed, um, and changed step really as an agency. We set up Take Fucking Risks, the event series, which is now probably the biggest event series in London for creatives. If it's not, it's certainly like one of. It's I mean, it's massive, and it's a fucking joke on the side. It's a, it's a side hustle. It's not our thing. It's not our bread and butter. And with that, we've won work that uh, and one clients that want to understand the power of risks and understand the power of doing the complete opposite to everybody else um so it was like in hindsight it was the right thing you know five years later we're producing much better work i mean it's the you know some of the clients we work with you know they're really grabbing it by the by the horns and that's what we want and we want to do more of that you know and that's for us that's our thing uh, that's 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 the only way our clients are going to uh, grow market share, grow their businesses, whatever it will be, is by doing the opposite to everybody else. And they, you know, they they get it. And the events are a really big part of that. Take fucking risks is blown up. It's huge. I mean, we get four hundred and fifty people onto these events. They're massive. I mean, you've been along to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been to all of them, bar one. And actually, what what's so good about them is the people you get there are sadly the minority, but equally the, the people that are so courageous in our industry. So we're talking about the likes of Bob Hoffman and Dave Trott and... Um, Cindy. Cindy Gallo, yeah. uh, Vicky Ross. Yeah. Uh, people that understand the process, because I think Take Fucking Risks is a statement works on so many levels, not least just because it's the right advice, and yet what people are afraid to do. And I think, to be honest, that works across other industries. So you look at anyone that's made it and had true success there will be very few consistencies across all of these people, but one of them is that they had the balls to take a risk and do something different. Yeah. Um, There's fuck all of us. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly like, that. We're There's... like, you know, fucking brothers from another mother. I yeah. Mean, like, you know, like Gasp and Mother and Smith. Like, yeah, yeah. I look across and I'm like, fuck, where are the others? There are fucking like almost none of us. We need more troublemakers. We need more people that want to shout and be aggressive and fight for good work not accept average. That's what your agency does. It's what ours does. We, um, we were talking earlier. I might end up editing this bit out, but we were talking earlier about my, um, my brother, literally from another mother, at Leo Burnett. And when he took over the reins at London, in the London office, they had an issue or a perceived issue with their best creative team. And this pair would regularly work late and set fire to the office. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the first decisions that my, my brother Andrew had to make was, um, was to prevent the agency well, no, surely from firing he got... them. <laughs> well, no, he, he defended needed... them and he kept them. <laughs> yeah. And he said, they we might need, be setting fire fires again. in the office, <laughs> yeah. but we can put fires out. These guys are fucking good. And, and you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how that ended, to be fair. But, but the story, there's some, you know, there's some truth in that. So like an accountant would fire them. But someone with their fucking head screwed on me, like, cool, yeah. let's just hire some firefighters. That's exactly. like, they, these guys are producing, these people are producing fucking great work. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's yeah, just yeah. put, let's just accept that it comes with some baggage. Exactly. Whereas an accountant go, wow, no, it costs like three, you know, like 300 quid to put out these fucking fires. Let's get rid of that because that's a, that's a line item in a P&L. Fucking accountants. And they run businesses, don't they? Accountants, economists, and that's, that, that's the sad truth. So, so at a time now then where the ASA can literally ban ads that are just inoffensive really, how easy is it to take risks? So we're talking about the, the Philadelphia and the, the, the VW. So yeah, yeah so yeah, Philadelphia and VW is a very recent and topical example. But, but, but even beyond that, where you've got an authority, for want of a better word, like the ASA, who, who can, I suppose in the VW instance, remove a campaign based on three complaints, how difficult is it to take, to take risks? Fuck the ASA. That is like number one. Fuck them. Yeah. I have no time for them. Yeah. They are a bunch of dickheads. 
legal, decent and honest. Who becomes the arbiter of taste? What, some dickheads in some fucking skyscraper? I have absolutely no time for the ASA. Yeah. How three people complaining can kill an ad? The, the worst things about those ads is not the things that they were banned for. The worst thing about those is they are shite. <laughs> they are fucking terrible ads. Yeah. Um, the fact that three people complain shows how shit they are. I mean, that's the worst thing about those ads. Like, I, I, I subscribe to, the, um, to what they're trying to do, you know, the fact that we should show modern parenting and, and we should have diversity and equality and all, and like, all of those, like, I 100% subscribe to those. If anyone's been to my talks, I, like, I get trolled a lot by, by uh, white men, you know, as one of the, as, as a white man, yeah. <laughs> they don't like me. No, but not everyone. I mean, like, we've got a bit of something going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, like, um, uh, yeah, like, my problem with those ads is they are shit ads. Like, first and foremost, they should never have run because they're shit. Uh, not because, like, the dad put his kid on a conveyor belt at the sushi restaurant or whatever the fuck it was. Um, so, yeah. I suppose that's the issue, really, isn't it? Because where's the line between something being funny really and 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 offensive because a quote that i regularly use is uh, is i believe is dawn french and she said if it's funny it's not offensive it's very difficult to tread that line of doing something that's playful that doesn't offend and if we're going to get that so so binary about what we are and aren't allowed to say or do in public everything's going to become so sterilized that we are all going to sound like each other because we're all so scared of of upsetting someone. i mean look uh, I su completely subscribe to the Dawn French uh, approach. If it's funny, it's not offensive. Yeah. Like, and, it, and if it is offensive, it's not funny. Um, come on, like, we cannot be fucking vanilla. I'd, I'd, like, I'll quite happily offend someone. Like, if, <laughs> if it's funny. But like, I'm, I'm not going out to like, offend you as in like, I'm trying to pick a fight with you and like, I'm trying to suppress who you're about. I'm just like... If I can poke fun at you, then, then that's okay. Yeah. And likewise, you can poke fun at me. That's, you know, like the, the, um, the med, uh, I suppose, like the metropolitan liberal elite kind of view on that would be like, no, we, you know, we, we can't possibly offend someone. Yeah. Mm. Like, no, fuck off. You know, comedy has a value. Like, it's, re like, it's really powerful. Um, it's actually really powerful in lots of ways other than just making people laugh. But it also makes really good advertising, which is why almost no adverts are funny because people are shit at their jobs and they wouldn't dare like, uh, write something funny. They just mm. can't possibly do it. You know, that's, that, and and uh, I lose count of the amount of um, brands that we speak to that start a brief with, I don't want to offend anybody, but let's go. And you're like, well, hang on. Like, let's come up with something really good and like, I'm not looking to pick a fight with someone, but like if that's the way we go and that's the best thing, then you know, then go for it. I mean, I think Brewdog are an absolute classic. They're like the poster child for that type of approach where they'll just pick a fight with people. Now that's clearly in the complete DNA of their business. I'm not saying that's the only way to do something, but they're really good at uh, picking fights. Um, I think the world of like you know the world of advertising the world of brands it's just so vanilla everyone can, in, in every industry you know you think across the uh, across the uh, the market you know every type of industry the vast majority of businesses couch around one central vanilla bland positioning so few uh, like step outside of that sort of central mold and that's why 89% of ads are forgotten. That's why, is it, I think it's up to 85%. So uh, uh, people, you know, um, people wouldn't care if 85% of brands they buy disappeared overnight. That's because people don't give a fuck about brands and advertising. 600 million people have downloaded an ad blocker. Yeah. Literally 600, people, 600 million people in the world have stuck two Vs up to what we produce as an industry. That's how shit we are. But that stat gets better. So we, we were looking into that stat specifically this week and the latest figures, which have only been published in the last few days, suggest that 2 billion people 
having sold an ad blocker. So as a, as a, as a movement... That's, that's a third of the fucking population on the, on the planet. It's amazing. It's amazing. Like, of which, like, of the six billion people on the planet, not all of them have got access to the internet. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's like, like the math there. And it's yeah. amazing. Like, that's how much we're fucking annoying people. But also... so You wouldn't believe it if you read the earnings reports for, you know, networks. <laughs> no. No, of course not. Of course not. So my colleague here, Beth, has um, made Paul and I promise that we're not going to become Statler and, and Waldorf from the Muppets. Yeah. As two angry, old, to, cynical, moody be, bastards. Can I get some more but, wine? Yeah, you can, yeah. But before we're positive, I want to talk about uh, offending people, and then yeah. we'll get some more wine. Yeah. Um, why, why have we decided that offending people equals bad? One of the biggest mistakes that personally I see and we see as an agency, when brands are looking at their strategy for the year ahead or five years ahead, however long they plan, they look at who they want to target potentially, but they don't accept who they don't want to target. And the way of, the way of doing that is by sending out signals in all shapes and sizes of saying, we're not for you. So if we're not for you is offensive then that's a really quick way of someone understanding they don't want to buy your brand. And I think that, unfortunately, we've, we've become a society where offence equals bad. And, of course, I'm not suggesting we should offend people or go out and try and upset people at all. Let's make that clear. But by displeasing someone, if we can take the scale down a notch, you are helping them understand that you're not for them. That's not a bad thing. You can't be everything to everyone. You know, you can't be, what's the quote? You can't be all things to all men. Like, let's make it modern, all things to all men and women, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's okay for someone to not like you. Yeah, that, that, is, that is okay. Um, you know, if you're going out and being a fucking bigamist or a racist or, yeah, you know, oh, like, yeah, yeah, then that's not cool. There is a line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things that we ask people before they, you know, when we're uh, interviewing people, we're like, where's the line? Like, I mean, I'm interested to know where people think the line is. I happen to think that the line is a lot further away than people... Act, it actually is. You have to trust your gut that... When you, so when you're producing stuff, that people will find it funny, people will find it uh, entertaining, and they will then remember the product it is that it's associated with. You know, let, lest we forget that the job of advertising is to get noticed. That is, that is literally the fucking job. You wouldn't think it if you listen to, you know, the, uh, the mission statements of like the top thousand agencies in the world. They all fucking say something about purpose. They're, you know, they're really fucking mission driven purpose. It's all bollocks. No, your job is to get eyeballs, like get fucking noticed, get eyeballs on the product of your client. That is it. It's not even to shift the product. That's the brand's job. If their product is shit, then they're not going to shift any product. Their brand, if their brand is great, their product is great, then they'll shift some product. Simple as that. But like the job of advertising is just to get noticed. Get on people's radar. Yeah, yeah. that is it. It's really fucking simple, you know. But, you know, a lot of people make it very complicated. So talking about risks, as a stunning response, you and a mutual friend and past pod guest, Vicky Ross, created yeah. The Bland Book. So... For anyone who isn't familiar with the Bland Book, can you tell us what it is and why it's so good? So what is the Bland Book? So uh, anybody that works in the creative industries will have seen brand books. You know, the, the brand produces this Bible. For this is, this is our brand. This is everything that we stand for. These are the rules that we're going, the rules we're going to follow. Um, there, there, there is no allowance for deviation from this fucking uh, complete gold that we've created. Um, and they're all the fucking same. That is the problem. So I've seen thousands, I mean, literally fucking thousands of brand books, and they're all the same. Yet every single one of them thinks they're different. They're like hipsters, I suppose. Um, every hipster thinks they're different, but they're all the same. Um, but they, they're bollocks. They're literally meaningless guff and shit. Uh, but yet you wouldn't think that 
for anybody that you know that well you know the, the marketing director goes look at this brand book now, here we go you've got to stick to these brand guidelines when we're working on project a it's bollocks i mean it, they're, they're they're worthless and so we thought fuck it let's make a satirical uh view of what these things are and it was vicky that came to me like like fair dues i mean i didn't actually come up with the idea it was vicky that came to me she's amazing yeah. vicky, uh, uh, and obviously she's a past guest uh, mutual friends, we know. I mean, I know, know each other a long time, and uh, she said, "Let's just do it. Let's fucking let's do it." Like, she had me at like, "Let's have a go." I mean, I, I was like, you know, I was already drawing before she'd finished the sentence. Um, yeah, so we produced this uh, uh, bland book, which is a yeah a satirical look at, at at brand books. It pokes fun. Uh, we put it up. We uh, we posted it as an April Fools on campaign uh, it was picked up so picked up by campaign and it was picked up by I, I can't even remember how many like countless publications all over the world and it's still been picked up now like st we still get picked up by publications random ones that I've never even heard of Re spread really far uh, the reaction on social media was amazing and we got loads of people writing to us not just um so like obviously posting it and and commenting on it but loads of people actually writing to both me and Vicky saying this is amazing um this is such this is so true it's such a close representation of of actual real life um and actually a few brands <laughs> uh to us saying like that's that's sort of weirdly close to home <laughs> I you know I, I hadn't realized until you held up the mirror and it's almost like we held up a mirror and they're like right okay we're you know, we've obviously got something, you know, and, and a bit of work's come out of it, which is lovely. It is worth saying that it wasn't just me and Vicky. There was uh, a third wheel to this um, okay. triumvate of people. So Grace State, who's a, a designer at Mellon Smith, she produced a lot of the artwork for us. So it was actually the three of us. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's a bit unfair that both me and Vicky get a lot of the um, credit and yeah. actually Grace did a lot of the work as well. So. Okay. Well, shout out to Grace then, because it's because it's stunning, and as, and as you said, it's alarmingly close to a lot of brand books and brand guidelines. But yeah, but like the point. So by the way, this Guinness is amazing. It's lovely. <laughs> um, it's that's the whole point. The, the best satire is when it's really close to home and uh, almost like uncomfortably close. And and people, the, the reaction was was incredible. It really was. Like I say, like. Quite a few brands got in touch, been like, this is like, I, I see myself in this, you know. Then there was a whole host of agencies, designers, copywriters, you know, going like, this is, who understand that it's bullshit, but, but willingly shovel that shit every day. Um, and then, there, you know, people that, you know, journalists, commentators, publications commenting on it and, and, and promoting it and saying, look, you know, demonstrating how funny it is and, and how close to home it is and, and how full of shit brands are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the Ryan Wallman quote, which is, it's the delusions of brandia. Brands think that they're the fucking centre of people's lives and they are not even remotely fucking close to the centre of people's mm -hmm. lives. People are far more interested in, you know, where am I going to go for cocktails on Friday? You know, you know is there going to be fucking parking when I go to the shopping mall on Saturday? What the fuck is this growth, you know, on the yeah, side? Yeah. Like, so, Should I be worried about this rash? <laughs> yeah, like people are way more interested in that. But if you, if you think, you know, if you sit in a brand meeting, you know, like those things don't count to people. What counts is whether the washing up liquid is like central to their fucking life. You're like, fuck off. Yeah. Like you, uh, one of the best things people could do would be to follow Adweek uh, on LinkedIn. So that's uh, Adweek with a... With an A, so A D W E A K, and he just pokes fun yeah, at. Genius. He's, he's genius. fucking hilarious, yeah, yeah, um, you know. And then there's the uh, skit that was on Saturday Night Live. That you've got Saturday Night Live poking fun at our industry, where you've got Alec Baldwin like being a, like an uh, you know uh, uh, a, in a pitch for you know as a, as an ad man, and he's pitching like ridiculous shit. Uh, but like you know that's all very much brand purpose and then you've got someone that's like the, the straight you know the straight character it's like no like, how about we present our it's Cheetos that's what they're presenting that was it and that's what they're pitching how perhaps we uh, pitch 
something that's real, like, you know, kids eating Cheetos in the backyard, mm -hmm. as opposed to, and then Alec Baldwin's playing the, maybe we should, like, get into, you know, uh, the Mexican wall, you know, and, and, and the fact that there's, like, a Mexican kid on one side, and, and like, no, just fucking sell the Cheetos. Don't get into, like, social uh, conscious, uh, sorry, uh, social brand purpose. Drivel. I looked it up earlier today specifically because I knew there would come a time on our chat to use it. And it is, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you sell. Now remind me, what is it you want to say to me? And it's, it's, it's that indifference. So we were talking about something that, that we wrote recently called our six fails. And, and, and the first one of those is, is the biggest obstacle facing brands is, is indifference. And indifference is essentially that state of, I don't care. I don't care about you. I don't care about your brand values. I don't care about all these brand attributes. And Mark Ritson would call it the wanky rhomboids of trust that exist in your brand guidelines. And yet so many brands do get carried away with that, don't they? So the, so, so the bland book is exactly that. It's a, it's a very satirical, it's a very funny, it's, a, it's an alarmingly accurate response to that state of the industry that that we're in but I'm wary that I am naturally very negative and cynical I would I would <laughs> I suggest that uh, as a combination yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could probably go in that direction too much so so tell me that what can we celebrate what can we enjoy what can we be happy about uh what can we what can we celebrate what is good at the moment um almost fucking nothing <laughs> like let's be honest I tell you what there are some there are some good parts of our industry. There really are. There are some, there are some brands that are doing some really good stuff. They're, they're notable for being good because the, like the, the, fucking, the, the average is really bad. Yeah, like the, yeah. Like the, the benchmark is so bad. It's such a cliche. And the problem is, is that I get lambasted and I get trolled and people take the time out of their day to fucking have a go at me. Sorry about which that. Which is lovely. You know, like I, I really enjoy it when people, you know, write to me and, have a go at me but um the, the uh, when you are someone that talks about how about we don't do it like now you know how about we don't get fucking addicted to digital marketing how about we don't decide on our taxes before we even fucking uh decide on what we're gonna what our idea is and it's stuff like that how about we don't just chase the next shiny thing like machine learning or AI or VR or yeah. fucking Pokemon Go or any of that bollocks. How about we just come up with a fucking idea? That's quite an old-fashioned view. And then you get labelled as a, as a dinosaur. That's, it's, it's such an easy label to give people like me. And, you know, I kind of wear it with pride because, you know, I'm 37. I'm such an old guy, you know, like, fuck me, I'm a dinosaur. Um, but you've got people like Dave Trott. We, we've already talked about Bob Hoffman. Uh, you know, Cindy Gallops of this world. Uh, we've had Oliviero Toscani. He's the guy that did all the Benetton uh, ads. Um, and they, they think about an idea is the starting point and then they go forward from that. And that's, that's how it should be. But that's how it was in yesteryear. And yet you look, you look around agencies now and no fucker is coming up with ideas. They're coming up with like tactics. How do we get this on VR? How the fuck do we get this in like machine learning. And, and I'm not saying they don't have a part to play. The point I'm making is let's come up with an idea first and then decide how our media mix looks and what our channels that go out uh, look. Um, it's cart before the horse, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's the Mark Ritson quote, which is, uh, I've got a hammer, I'm looking for a nail. Fucking come up with your idea first. The problem is, that's, it's really hard. It's expensive. Takes a bit of time. Doesn't have to, it's not like, doesn't take years, but... It, it might take a month to come up with that idea. And, um, and I have, this is why I have sympathy for, um, for my clients and, and clients in general. You know, they're under a lot of pressure. The, the clients aren't the bad guys here. You know, they put us, us as agencies under pressure. I have a lot of sympathy for the situation that, agency, uh, that clients are in. Where, you know, they're, they're under pressure from, uh, from shareholders and from their leadership teams we're like, no, we need to fucking come now, now. Come on, let's go, go, go. Like, no, let's, how about you just hang fire for a month? We'll come up with something really fucking great that's going to revolutionise this business. It's going to completely change uh, the business. And then, and then all the shareholders are going to be very happy. You know, you, you fucking, the, the Wall Streets and the, the cities of London are going to be happy. But just 
hang fire, like, give me a fucking moment to come up with something. Whereas if you go, you've got a day, two days max, I'm like, nah, like, I'm, and, and I think a lot of people blame clients and then they're not the bad guys here. Mm. This is a partnership. And I think if it was, if people took them, took them time to take a breath and go, look, why don't we just fucking take a moment, think about what the problem is and we can actually probably come up with a solution, then we're far more likely to come up with something really good. But the, 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 and a lot of agencies, they'll just either take the order, yes, man, work over, you know, work through the weekend, produce something average, client's happy, and it doesn't fucking work, or they just bitch and moan, and actually there's far more nuance to it than that, and it's actually understanding your client, understanding their problems, understanding the challenges that you don't even see, you know, the things that you don't see on the surface, the things that they're, they're battling as the CMO or the VP of marketing or the marketing director, whoever they are, what are they fucking challenging? You know, they're like fighting in boardrooms. The internal politics. Like there's, there's a lot of shit that agencies don't see and they don't really have any empathy for those situations. It's a very fair point and, I, and I, um, it's something we've touched on previously, I would say mostly in depth with episode two with JP Hansen and his point is that in the boardroom, marketing, sadly, but understandably in some respects is seen as the colouring in department. And I think that we've, as agencies and as clients, we've allowed ourselves to become that because, as you say, we take the check and we do the work. And that all that does is, is, is add fuel to the fire. Um, whereas the brands that do succeed and the brands that are courageous and take a risk and understand that you do need to have a plan before you start blindly picking up tactics understand that and, it, and it's difficult it's difficult it's just a challenge and, and, and like you say the clients have got a, an internal battle to buy themselves that a time and b respect to do things right and it's much easier to go with the status quo but the status quo is that 11 percent that you referenced earlier which is um a cracking quote that i know dave trot shares a lot which is the 89 when i completely ape it off dave yeah, one hundred percent. So anyway, the thing is, and uh, and to plug Glenn Love Fisher, you, actually, lovey Dave. Yeah, same as he. I talk about Dave all the time because because actually, he feeds a lot of what I believe in, and so I see me repeating a lot of stuff I've learned from people like Dave Trot and Bob Hoffman and the like as a positive thing because all I'm doing is sharing the reality when too many people are kind of blind to that, and that split of eleven percent that's remembered. People focus and think, oh, the 4% that's remembered positively, that's where I want to be. Well, bollocks to that, because that 7% that's remembered negatively, that's Geo Compario from the Go Compare ads. That still works. I hate that guy. But I use Go Compare, and I do remember him at least, or Go Compare at least, because of how much I hate Geo Compario. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing, and it's that, it's that being remembered that we... That is the job get. of advertising, get noticed. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you get noticed and people hate you. I mean... Obviously, it's better if they remember you and they go fucking love you. It doesn't matter. Like, so the, the, the compare the meerkats come out and you're like, go compare. You're like, right, mate, we've got some fucking shit to do here. Like, we have to come out with something that's going to compete. And you come up with Geo Compario. Like, now people love him or hate him. He's a bit of a marmite, but they yeah. fucking remember yeah, him. Yeah, exactly that. They remember him. They remember that's a, him. It's a, it's a brilliant case study yeah. of how to get noticed doesn't matter whether they fucking like you or not. Another problem with the advertising industry and the marketing industry as a whole is that people are obsessed with being liked. Oh, we must be liked. We must be liked. Maybe people must remember. No, just be fucking noticed and then try and become liked. Uh, the, fact, the reason why 89, you know, a big reason why 89% are forgotten is because they're all trying to be liked. The relationship between an agency and client, and my comment on the current state of things, without trying to say, ooh, aren't I clever, is... You are clever. <laughs> Agencies nowadays, in my experience, fuck, I'm negative. Anyway, <laughs> act more like they're your nan, right? Where they say, yes, darling, to clients. They should be more like personal trainers or people that you know do you good, but challenge you and make you wake up early and do things you're uncomfortable doing. Agencies should be personal trainers. They shouldn't be your nan. So, yeah, so my take on that, very, very similar, uh, is um, way too many brands are you too, and not enough of them are Oasis. 
like Oasis will come in and fucking smack you around the face. They're going to headbutt you. You're going to think, you know what? No, nobody has no opinion of Oasis. They either like them or they don't, but they know who they are. No fucker likes you too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bonio. <laughs> <laughs> well, without, I mean, you had no idea, but that is a perfect bridge into our listener questions. <laughs> yeah. So asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger, but that's not stopped us asking listeners for questions to put to Paul. So we've selected two, starting with Mark. And Mark says, I went to senior school between 1991 and 1996. I got tangoed repeatedly. I fucking hated that nearly as much as I hated Blur. Brackets, I was Oasis. (laughs) This is ridiculous. This is crazy. (laughs) But now I can see how that ad was great and memorable. What is your favourite risk-taking ad campaign? Um... Probably the Tango ad is it's great, fucking isn't it? hard. Yeah, it's brilliant. You've been tangoed. Or any of the Tango ads. I mean, HHCL produced a vast majority of them. Steve Henry wrote the vast majority of the lines. Um, it's really hard. I mean, it's an example that I use time and time again. The fact that it got banned by the government just, just fueled <laughs> the fire. Um, to be fair, another one that Steve wrote uh, at HHCL... Uh, the slag of snacks, the pot noodle. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Um, I just think that's it's right to the heart of what it is that should be that is a good idea. I think there's some really old ones uh, that I think are really good, and what I think people are very quick to forget history and what we can learn from them. I think a really good example. Uh, yeah, it's fucking old. Is the Avis we try harder that ran for what? 40, 50 years. And it was based on the fact that they're number two in the market and they want to be number one. And because they're number two, they made a positive out of the fact that they weren't the biggest in the market. Yeah. Can you imagine a brand having the bollocks to do that today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highlight their floor. Yeah. yeah. Let's go, we're number two. Let's we try harder. Like, Makes sense. <laughs> it's com- like um, the, uh, the Shivas Regal, all of the stuff that, that was David Abbott. Was it David Abbott? Yeah. Wrote those? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, like, they, they just fucking ran for years mm. and years. They're brilliant in the 80s. Amazing. Um, and n- knew exactly who they were before. Um, it's that flaw, isn't it? I mean, Richard Shotton, who I'm a huge fan of, that's kindly been on the pod, and he, he would also, I mean, he'd define that as a pratfall effect. So one example he gives is, is Guinness, so good things come to those who wait. Very pertinent. Yeah, because we're drinking Guinness. <laughs> But if you, if, you, if you take that out of the context of the drinks industry and maybe think of any other industries, the chances are you would brief your agency to just kind of gloss over that and hide that fact. Guinness has built itself on the fact that it does take longer and that's perceived as a positive thing and it's made a positive out of what it is It tastes better because it negative. takes longer. Yeah, it takes longer. Stella is another one. Yeah. It's more expensive. Yeah. It's better because it's more expensive. Um, a really good example of that is... Uh, so you go into computing that you mentioned is uh, look at the ads uh, of IBM, fucking Dell, any of the PC manufacturers of the 90s. It was called Speeds and Feeds. It was all about how fast we are, how fucking like how much shit we can store, any of that bollocks. Yeah. And Apple were like, how cool we are. I don't give a fuck how quick you are. Like, it's just about how cool I look. And that was literally the differentiation. And you've got, you know, all of these PC brands. uh, And I know it's a cliche to pick on Apple as a really good example. But we're not talking about the the iPhone here or like, you know, the the iWatch or any of the modern stuff that they've come up with in the last 10 years. We're talking about shit they were doing in the 90s. We're Mm. like, our Mac is just better looking. And like that, that was was it. Like, that one thing, you know, whereas everyone else was like, no, I'm all about the speeds. And our product looks like fucking turd. And that you know, differentiation, like that be the opposite to everybody else. It's so pertinent. It's so valuable. It's, it's also focusing on one thing, not saying we want to say this, oh, and this, and this, and this. Oh, and you might as well mention this. It's, it's having the balls to say that one thing that's, that's key. And positioning statements are like juggling balls. So if you ask someone to hold one ball and throw it up in the air, fine, they'll catch it. If you chuck too many balls at your audience and try and remember that you're the, you know, you're the fastest, you're the, 
most reliable, you're the cheapest, whatever, they'll forget them. So it's, it's having that one proposition is so important. And it's on every industry. Philip Patek is a great example. Yeah. I mean, I go through Geneva Airport every fucking week, yeah. right? I, the watch advertising is fucking terrible. They're so, they're all the same. Get famous person to, have, to be wearing watch, take yeah. photograph. Yeah. Next to it is name of watch. Fuck off. Like, I don't give a fuck what watch Tiger Woods buys. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't buy it, but you know what I mean? But, um, Philip Patek is amazing. The watch that you hand down to your, uh, your children. Yeah, you just pass it on. Don't pass you? it on. Yeah, it's genius. It's not for you, it's for your children. Like, that is an absolute fucking piece of gold. Um, and you could, we could call out, like, I could call out lots, but it, the point is that it's they're doing the opposite to everybody else. And that is what agencies should be giving to brands and not enough of them are, some are. It's not a binary choice between like, well, fucking brands are bullshit and they don't know what the, you know, their head's not screwed on. It's not that. There's lots of challenges that brands have. But there's, there's a lot of uh, people doing really average and spending loads of fucking money. Yeah, yeah. Like another good example, right, f- fucking pull another one out of my ass. Um, is the Jaguar ad for the Super Bowl uh, where they were like the villains? You know, the 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 why is the why is the villain? Why is the baddie a Brit? Yeah. Like that is gold. That is a fucking piece yeah, yeah. of genius. Um, whoever came up, I don't know what agency ran it. Whoever yeah. came up with this, like, understands, and and Jaguar the client understood. Yes, <laughs> like we're always yeah. the baddie. Yeah, like, yeah. How do we highlight this? We're we're British. All right, well, fucking Brits are always the baddies. All right, let's put those two things together. <laughs> like, it's not fucking difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's different yeah. to every other car ad. I mean, when was the last time you saw a car ad where you remembered it? I yeah, can't yeah. fucking remember another one. Yeah. It's full of millennials that don't even yeah. buy cars. The only other car ad, actually, if we're going to be fair, is, is the clown's BBH ad for Audi, which I thought was wonderful. I mean, it is fair. But that's and two, I mean, that's two, right, out yeah. of hundreds. So. I mean, it is worth saying that BBH have produced some fucking brilliant work yeah. for Audi over the years. And I think it's a disgrace that Audi put it up for review. Having, you know, there's, there's no... What do they expect to happen? Other than fucking off BBH? Yeah. What, what will what, they what, achieve? Was it possibly... I mean, I don't understand the, uh, the ins and outs. I don't know what no. happened. True. Um, so there's that to caveat out. Yeah, but yeah. you've got 30 years of really good work. And... Stunning, know, stunning stunning work. Stunning work. And work that, work that works... And then they put it over, you know, out for review. And you know, I, to be fair, I was really happy with the industry's response, which was, you know, like we probably shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't go for this. Let's respect. That's a marquee account and a marquee piece of work over thirty years. They've grown Audi's business. They're not BBH are not solely responsible for how big Audi have become over the last thirty years, but they're. A big component of the growth that they've had. Yeah, the amount of cars they've shifted. Question two. All right, we're on a question Do you remember? one. Yeah, <laughs> question two. So Leanne asks, "What? Who's been your favourite speaker at the TFR events?" So let's let's just give Paul a break here and say they've all been awesome because I've heard yes. most of them. Um, but are there any that stand out? Let's rephrase Leanne's question. Are there any that stand out in particular because of something? Um. So. Cindy Gallup yeah. was, in, uh, was incredible. Um, I must say that all of our speakers, I've, been, I've never been disappointed with mm. our speakers. They've been, really have been incredible. Uh, and we have two sets of events now. We have these big events, 450 people come along and we get huge speakers. And then we have pub crawls where we have people that are, you know, starting out as speakers probably more, mm. is probably a fairer way of looking at it. And it's much smaller, like 50, 60 people. We go pub to pub. And you have a speaker in every pub, and we go to five pubs, five speakers. It's great, and it's a, and we have the sort of the, the mixture of the two over a, over a year. Um, I think Cindy's you can't look past Cindy. She's I love her. I think she's amazing. Um, I find how she approaches stuff to be so refreshing, mm. novel. She's also unfortunately in a minority. Um, She's fighting, you know, a system, like rather than just like what's in front of her. Um, and I love that. I love 
the, the you know the the TED talk that put her on the map to the masses, the um, make love not porn, and and, the, and when she launched that, you know I love that she talked about coming on people's faces yeah. uh, six uh, times, I six, think, yeah, yeah, in a TED talk, yeah. like that is right. That's yeah, she's got some minerals, you know. Yeah. I mean, like yeah, um, and then uh, Oliviero Toscani, I I really enjoyed his talk. The, not. Um, I mean, I've loved. I have to, it's difficult. It's hard to. You know, a lot of the people that have had talk, I'm, I'm friends with them. So it's difficult for me to like not call them out. Yeah. But the thing what Oliviero did, which is different to the others, is that he talked about his body of work, whereas the others talked about their philosophy, probably more so. All of the others, you know, the Dave Trotts, the Mr. Bingos, the Vicky Rosses, the Bob Hoffmans, GFDAs, like Alex Taylors. They like they all have huge bodies of work. The thing with, uh, with Oliviero is that he actually talked about his body and you don't realise how much fucking great shit he produced until you look at it like, you know, almost chronologically and it's like, fuck, it's like hit after hit. It's, it, was, it was amazing. And, you know, I, I, really, I really like him. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, he's so talented actually really um actually really like good with his time as well he's not he's not a prima donna at all like he's a really like he, he understands that he's he he's at a position where he can help people like us but you're like come on let's let's talk about it. let's help you let's 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 fucking do some good work i mean yeah. he's he's by no means retired like you know you ask you ask him that he'd probably punch you in the face but you know what i mean um but yeah, that's where, that's where I sit on that. Right, so the final part of the interview then, uh, Paul, is our four pertinent poses we put to all guests. So number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, that it's going to be okay. Good, yeah. <laughs> um, I think yeah, when you're young, you're, so, you're obsessed. Like everything's a huge deal. And actually, it's not a huge deal. Um, you can fuck up a lot. No, I mean, I did. <laughs> um, but I, I could have fucked up a lot more. Um, I suppose my second piece of advice would be go to the pub at midday uh, more. Like the people that you meet, it, it sounds like, yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, yeah, go to the pub at midday. But the people you meet at the pub in, uh, in the pub at midday are real. They're not, they're not fake. They're not like hustling. They're not like you got some kind of veneer. They're just fucking real people. And those are the people that buy fairy liquid. They're the people that buy your fucking, your hoovers, your, your irons, yeah. your, what, like all of the shit that we sell. Yeah. Um, and if you spoke to a brand manager or a marketing director, they don't think like that. Mm. And they need to, because those are the people that fucking buy their shit. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's easily forgotten because those people don't have a voice. And, these people, are, they're real. And you can go and people watch. Mm. I mean, we work with some clients. Um, and I don't want to like name names, but we, like, we work with some clients. Uh, for example, we work with um, a retailer. So we're like, right, well, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to go hang out in your store. I'm just going to go watch people. Mm. That's not market research. That's not focus groups. It's just fucking hanging out in your store on the high street. And I'm going to see how people react and, and what they do and what they fucking buy. Um, and that's like, that's just real people. And then you can write stuff that gets them to buy more of whatever it is you're selling. If you could banish one thing from the industry, just one, what would it be and why? If I could banish one thing, fuckwits. Would be a would be a good start. No, nah, I mean like that's that's a bit flippant. Um, ah, just people that take themselves too seriously. They think that we're trying to like solve world peace. You know, like we're not we're not doing that. Like it's cool if we do. People that take themselves way too seriously. It's it's it it would we you know you're selling widgets. Mm. Or you're selling, like, whatever it is that you're selling. Yeah. Even B2B world, you know, like, yeah. you're selling a service. You're an accountancy firm. You're a management consultant. Like, like you're, you're not solving world peace right now. You know, like, yeah. this is not grandeur. Like, you're selling 
accounts at the end of the year or you're selling you know like um, efficiency goals with your uh, management consultancy uh, package that people that take themselves too seriously uh, are, are a big part of the problem and they're probably client and agency so yeah yeah massively people think that we're like like seriously powerful people don't give a fuck about what we do so like <laughs> we're not powerful at all any books that you would recommend I can I can see one yes so what's this? What's this? So, dog-eared book. <laughs> dog-eared. Um, so this book is by a guy called Don Peppers. I'm going to show you the front cover. Nice. And he's got uh, his front page, like the front cover is like, hey, <laughs> with his like fingers out, like, hey, I'm a cool dude. Yeah. It's called uh, Life's a Pitch, Then You Buy. It's by a guy called Don Peppers. It was first published. Let me just find where the fucking thing was. When is it? Uh, where's the thing? In 1995. So I've got a first edition. Uh, and he dedicated it to Pamela, who was, I don't know, maybe his daughter, his wife, his mistress. I don't know, I don't know who it is. Um, Don't spread rumours. Yeah. yeah. Don's mistress in 1995 was Pamela. Um, so Don was... Uh, Don was a, he, he's American, he worked for a bunch of American agencies. Um, he actually has a list of them and there's some big agencies uh, when you look at them, you know, like the, the Chiat Days, the Leo Burnett's yeah. of this world. And he was, he was a BD guy. I think BD doesn't get anywhere near the respect that it should have within agency world. They're treated really badly. Um, and actually they are advertising because they're advertising the agency. And not nearly enough agencies put emphasis on how the fuck do they win work. And he, basically it's a, a warts and all story of how he won lots of work. And he's gone on to much bigger things than agency land. He's gone on to set up businesses. I think he's even floated a couple of them. He's a, uh, I mean, I don't know him. Mm. <laughs> I've never met him. But he's written lots of books. But I think this was his first book in 1995. Okay. Um, so yeah, Life's a Pitch, Then You Buy. And I have a copy here. That is well thumbed. I probably read it a couple of times a year. I would really? say. Nice. Yeah, it's cool. And lastly, then we always dedicate every show to someone, and we bestow or hospital pass that honour depending on your view to our guests. So, would you do the honours? So, uh, I did think about this, and I thought, you know, and generally I um, mm. promote someone like you know Vicky Ross or Cindy, uh, Cindy Gallup, because um, I don't think there's not there's not nearly enough. Um, female representation at the top of our industry. Um, but actually, I went out for a beer last night with a, a guy called Tim Wood, um, and he uh, is a there's, there's a... there's a whole industry of uh, copywriters that um, write job adverts uh, for, you know, people, you know, for uh, people to get jobs at various businesses. Um, and he writes those. Uh, and he applied for a job at us, uh, Mellor and Smith, a while ago, and, and we actually didn't take him, um, which is a bit weird. Um, but uh, we've become friends, and he took me out for a few beers last night, and I, uh, he's set up on his own. He's gone out freelancing. Find him, Tim Wood, on LinkedIn. I don't even fucking know. He's got a website. Um, <laughs> but I gave him a load of books last night, and I gave him, because I was like, you need to fucking read this, this stuff. And I'd, I'd had a few Guinness <laughs> last night. Um, so I gave him Dave Trott's Creative Blindness. I gave him Dave's uh, 1 plus 1 equals 3. I gave him Creative Mischief. I gave him George Lois's uh, Damn Good Advice. Damn Good Advice, great book. Fucking great book. Brilliant. It's basically a book that you can read while you're having a poo. It's, yeah, a, it's a one poo book. <laughs> um, what else did I give him? And then probably one of my favourite <laughs> books is Stephen uh, Pressfield's Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit, okay. which is a great yeah. book. Um, and as a copywriter, he was he was quite keen on <laughs> the fact that people read his shit. Um, so yeah, shout out to Tim. This episode is very proudly dedicated to Tim Wood. Uh, so as a final call to action, everyone listening can head over to the episode listing on calltoaction.co. We've shared everything we've discussed in the last hour. How else can people get more Paul Miller? Um, so. Uh, we've got an event. We've got Take Fucking Risk coming up in our next one's in November. I think it's in November the 13th. Tickets, you can buy tickets at TFR 
dot events. That's as in TFI, as in take fucking risks dot events. Yeah. Uh, we've got some great speakers. Uh, I'll be speaking at that. Um, there'd be like 400, 450 people going to that, and it's a bit of a piss up. It turns a bit of a rave afterwards, which is great. Nice. Um, and then otherwise, I don't really go into social media. I think it's, it's all a bit of bollocks, really, isn't it? But um, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. That's the only one I'm on. So just search for Paul Meller on LinkedIn. And I post and shoot my mouth off and, you know, kind of pick a fight every now and then. Perfect. Well, um, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, it's been a huge pleasure, as you know, and I've enjoyed it more than I could have possibly expected. More than all of the others. More than all of the others. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been great, so thank you. Paul. Cheers, mate. It was great. Um, and thank you to everyone listening. Please continue to share and review the show and to get in touch. Find Gasp online or email hello at calltoaction.co. Yeah!